0: Yeah, obviously, it's a lot of hard work, you know, many years of dedication going into this. I'm very proud of myself, the way I dug deep and kept myself in it to get into that playoff.
1: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of The Bunkered Podcast in association with Callaway. Michael McEwen here. Hope you're doing well and thank you very much for your company. As always, it's great to have you tuning in for what promises to be, I think, quite a lively chat. Bryce still isn't here. He is—he is still, I believe, in the south of France. Can you imagine Bryce in France? Jesus. Oh. So yes, I—I uh, I don't have Bryce for company this week. Instead, I have clubbed up. I have someone far superior. Sorry, big man, if you're listening. Sean Zach from golf.com He's becoming a regular oh, on this show. <laughs> great to have you here, my man. Thank you very much for joining us. You doing yeah, well?
0: Yeah, we've got a great view. We're looking out over, gosh, I don't even know what course this is here at St. Andrews. I think the Eden course.
1: I think you're right.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's a nice little Monday after the Women's Open.
1: It certainly is. So thank you very much for joining us. As you say, we are recording live from St. Andrews. We're in Pilmore House at the moment, which is just next to the Eden Clubhouse absolutely stunning oh. facility this, isn't it?
0: Well, I've been working uh, in coffee shops all summer long, and I was just <laughs> like, why didn't I come over here a lot <laughs> earlier?
1: It's tremendous. So thank you very much to the, the team at St. Andrew's Links for, for putting us up. There are a couple of reasons I wanted to come here this week and do a, an on-location pod. One was, obviously, you know, Sean, you've been staying in St. Andrews for for the last couple of months on an extended vacation. Is that a working vacation? Workation, we like to call it. A workation. Yes. I like that. That's pretty good. So I knew that you were in town. We'd hope to have Iona Stephen join us. She big-timed us. She did. Big-timed (laughs) us. There was an empty seat between (laughs) us where Iona should have been sitting. But we'll let her off with it because she... Obviously had a late finish last night for the, the AIG Women's Open, which we'll come to. Hey, I did too. You did too. Yeah, you <laughs> got up. I, <laughs> saw, her, I saw her
0: out there. She had more important duties than I did. She was presenting the, mm. the trophy, and I was just there watching. So, Incredible. But you, you were both there at the same time,
1: late at night. And you know, to your credit, Sean, you got out of bed, and you came here. <laughs> Iona... I, she's playing I'm, golf. Well, yeah, okay, I'll let her off. She's playing
0: Muirfield Kills, today. Kills, Is it Killspindi? I think it's Killspindi, maybe. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, she has big-timed me, because I was convinced she was playing Muirfield. <laughs> who knows what she's up to, honestly. I think it's Kill Spindy.
1: She's entertaining some American pals, anyway, who are over for the, the Women's Open. That's fine. Look, you know what? <laughs> I'll take the snub right on the chin. It's no big deal, Iona. It's no big deal we'll move on. <laughs> but no, that's, that was only one part of the reason I wanted to come here. The other part was we've just reached the end of a, a five-week, six-week stretch of golf in Scotland. Lots of events happening, not least of which was 150th Open. As we now know, and as regular listeners will now know, I missed all of Sunday <laughs> through COVID. So I didn't get my chance to say farewell to the stands and the structures. So I wanted to come up and just see how the the close down mm-hmm. is going because it's a huge operation to to shut down and to break down and to move the stands and all that sort of stuff and restore St Andrews to normal mm-hmm. St Andrews. So I want to get a sense of what that's like. And driving in this morning, it's amazing how much is still up. Oh yeah, you know I I, I don't know if I was necessarily expecting to see like the shop still there about two hundred yards away from here. A lot of the grandstand around the first, so the stand over the top of the shop, which I believe is becoming a Travis Matthew shop, Mm -hmm. incidentally, which will be really cool. The stand over the shop next to the, or behind the 18th green, that's gone. But the stand down the side of the first fairway is mostly still there, albeit a lot of seats have gone. The 17th grandstand, that's still there in its entirety, mm-hmm. which is incredible. So it just goes to show it takes a long time to put up. It takes a long time to come down as well.
0: Oh, yeah. I think it'll be, you'll see stands up, I think, through the month of August. That's at least what uh, some of the tournament officials told me. Like, this takes this takes a proper six weeks to tear re- everything down. Jeez. So. It's fun to look at, though. I, I flew the drone the other day in town, and I was just amazed at how far away you can see 150 you know the 150 white uh numbers on the grandstand along the first you can see that from so far away like if there is hopefully good like google satellite imagery taken this summer at st andrews like you'll see 150 very distinctly which i think is just a cool little fact uh part of it all
1: we're talking about work You're, you're going back in three weeks time i mean i'm sure the the past few months have flown in for you so Tell me a little bit about how you're feeling about that. You know, leaving St. Yeah. Andrews, the ex- experiences you've had.
0: I'm I'm amazed that uh, my foresight of three months as a trip, it it feels like it was the perfect amount of time because I am currently in the middle of feeling like I think it's time for me to go home, but I'm also feeling wait, do I really want to leave right now? Like it feels like the right time to leave, and both maybe I should stay an extra couple of weeks. And so I think that's a sign that it's the perfect amount of time. It's been an amazing summer. I've played a lot of these golf courses, but more and more people keep bringing up the names of courses I haven't played. (laughs) Like I just got invited the other day to, uh, I think it's Leven Links. Yeah. I haven't been down there, and I haven't been to London Links either, and everyone is raving about those courses, but it's like, guys, I still have work to do here. (laughs) Like there are days where I have to sit in my flat and just work. Yeah. Um, I can't get out and play everything.
1: What's been your biggest surprise, most pleasant surprise in terms of the courses you've played?
0: The American in me is surprised at how polarizing the Castle course is. Mm -hmm. It almost feels generationally polarizing to the point where people maybe 60 and older who have lived and breathed Fife for a long time think it's a a horrible course. (laughs) Um, And people maybe 30, 35 and younger see some of the merits to it. And I know that the course has even changed over time the last five or six years, but I've just, I come from a a land where like funky greens and aerial golf uh, sometimes are embraced and the ground game isn't quite as much embraced in America. So I can see why people don't like it, but part of me just loves the challenge of the wackiness of it. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's been
1: there now for what, about 15 years, I wanted Mm -hmm. to say, and Certainly when it first opened, there were challenges. I'm sure you've heard all about those. I wish I was those. here for that. So tomorrow you're playing somewhere else. <laughs> Feel free to humble brag away, Sean. Oh, Where God. are you playing tomorrow?
0: Uh, Meerfield. Oh, yeah. How did you possibly wangle that? <laughs> um, well, it's funny. I got... I ran into uh, the greatest little scene uh, on Saturday, which was just a tiny little junior tournament. And I was talking to people and I was able to meet a Muirfield member who was just wildly generous and like went out of his way to say like, Sean, I'd really like, you know, really like to get a game going for you while you're here. And so, yeah, we've made it happen. And, you know, lo and behold, maybe within an hour of, of making it all happen, like another invite came in. <laughs> this Another invite came in via the, the LPGA to play today. So uh, I'm only taking one Muirfield invite. Uh, How only, gracious. It man. only felt right. Um, but that's <laughs> been, honestly, that's been a, a perfect little picture of my summer and a picture of the Scottish generosity when it comes to a lot of things, but in particular golf. I mean, for one thing, there's just a lot more people that are members of, of clubs here. And when I say members of clubs in, in the States, the word private is always interjected into that members of private clubs, because it means in, in the States, it means like, no, you're not welcome here and not across the board, but like private clubs in the States generally have an exclusionary type of motto. And, are happy to have guests come along but the pricing the various barriers it, it makes it a much different experience members of clubs here are when can you come visit me in my club like they're they are so inviting and appropriately priced and so like the fact that I got invited to Muirfield I know that's a different club in terms of its privacy and uh And it's inviting nature, but like I I feel like I've been invited to play every club in East Lothian and Fife just by existing and writing about the place and being on social media, and I don't that would just not happen in the states. I I feel comfortable saying that. So I've culturally different, just culturally (laughs) different in terms of how we. I don't know, man, how we try to make the most of this crazy game, Mm. Um, and so. For that, I mean, that's one of the biggest reasons why. Like, I feel like I could spend a year here. I could probably live here forever, like, and, and never run out of places to, to go play.
1: That's good to hear. Visit Scotland will be absolutely thrilled <laughs> by that as well.
0: I'm certain. Yeah. But, well, hey, the, Visit Scotland they do a great job, and they've even like reached out and tried helping me out. But I, I, frankly, haven't needed their help. It's literally just you know a member from Scott's Craig who said, "Hey, man, I really think that you should see Scott, Scott's Craig while you're here." And he's like, and you know what? I'll pick you up at your flat. Like, cause I don't have a car here. I haven't been driving around, but he's like, I will come pick you up, bring you to Scott's Craig and I'll bring you back to St. Andrews. And I'm just like, Oh, okay, like, okay. I'll just sit in the passenger seat. You tell me where to go, where to be there. Like, it's been so great for all those kind of reasons. And Muirfield's playing there tomorrow. You're heading for a treat. I'm scared, man. How about? about the the wind? oh don't worry about that i'm a horrible I, i've told people like i'm a scratch player downwind but i am like a 20 handicap into the wind <laughs> and what's so beautiful about that property that i learned this week is that the driving range goes downwind mm-hmm. and immediately you turn on the first hole you go dead right back into the <laughs> wind and I, I was talking to uh big randy from no laying up yesterday we were watching the the leaders practice and i'm like gosh They don't care that they have to go downwind for a half hour and then turn back into the wind, but it is exactly the kind of thing that shatters amateurs to their (laughs) core. Totally right. So (laughs) that experience is something I'll earn tomorrow.
1: Like the the conversation about Muirfield leads us nicely on to the AIG Women's Open, which was historic and in so much as it was the first time that we'd had a, a, a ladies professional event take place at Muirfield. I think everybody by now knows the backstory but it's been a long, complicated road to get to this point. I wasn't able to be there last week, unfortunately, for, as I say, reasons beyond my control. But you were, Sean. You were had boots in the ground all week. Give me a sense of what the, the week was like. I mean, was there much in the way of discussion around the, the yeah. complex politics?
0: I think it hovered in the background the first couple of days, practice round days. I mean, I talked to a few players and... It sounded like every player in the field was invited to go to a Monday night kind of like dinner soiree at the club. And the purpose was essentially to kind of like welcome them, but also to kind of like teach them about the club's history. And I don't think that women in the field were that interested in that, frankly. For what reason? Just because they're here to win a tournament? I think they're here to win a tournament. I think there's a little bit of, you know, we should have been here Fifteen years ago, and like, right? We, we don't really, we don't really care to like go to your your like dinner get together now that you're ready to have us. Um, but that was just a Monday into Tuesday kind of thing. I think, by and large, players didn't want to talk about it. Like they were happy that they're going to the best event or the best one of the best courses in the world. That the RNA had made this happen for them. They are eager to not make any type of distraction comments like I think that's the thing that all golfers think about but in particular female golfers because mm. granted they're making great strides in the game uh right now golf is still for a long time particularly in the states like not been the greatest place for women to be welcomed and so do you get up on your press conference podium and, and say something that is potentially going to distract from your tournament. Like, I don't think they're that eager to do that. So, anyways, there's a long way of saying I think the Muirfield politics faded into the background as we got to Wednesday – At the exact same time, the PGA Tour lawsuit uh, was filed (laughs) and very much distracted us from anything. And then by the time Thursday took place, it was all about the golf. You know, Shibuno shot, I think, 600 in the first round. And that was, I believe, from the early wave. And it was like, okay, it's on. Like, they're making birdies out here. Will Mirfield be tough enough for them? Will it be set up tough enough? Eventually, the wind kicks in, and the <laughs> scores plateau a little bit, and it, it seemed like any score under par was a good round this yep. week, mean we, we couldn't ask for a whole lot more from a major championship. This was a great golf course, and it I think this helped us get back to being like, oh, yeah, it's great for pros. It's great for male pros. It's great for female pros. It's great for top-level amateurs, and it's probably still pretty damn great for people like me and you and like yeah if i can break 90 to there tomorrow like i'll be absolutely thrilled
1: i'm, I'm sure you're not going to do as well with respect as ashley Buhai, the the new women's open champion at long last <laughs> she's got that win she's got the monkey off her back mm-hmm. and she had to do it the hard way you know going into the final round with such a massive lead we've seen that i mean how often have we told this story a huge 54 mm. hole lead surrender it Looks yeah. like it's about to be one of those days, but she showed some guts to to fight yeah. back and eventually prevail in that that epic playoff, didn't she?
0: I mean, this is a bit unfair, but you almost expect them to give some some of the lead back. You really don't expect them to pull a Martin Keimer at Pinehurst, yeah. where he just like, oh no, he he takes a six shot lead and hits the gas pedal and then mm-hmm. finishes off with eight. So yeah, I totally expected her to come back. And we saw a first couple of her swings, like she had a little bit of the rights going on. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't I still didn't expect her to make triple on 15. What was so interesting is that Inji Chun made a couple of the first punches, a couple of the first jabs, dropped a couple of putts, at one point got it to one stroke, but then immediately backed up on the tenth hole. And so it was just hovering in a two-stroke differential for like a very long time. And then it was three. And I was like, gosh, this championship's going to really end in a whimper. And an impressive one when Ashley finishes it off. But they, they will not have a climax. And I watched inside the media center through 14 holes. And I watched her hit her tee shot on 15. I was planning to go out to watch her finish. And... Right. The last thing I saw was her drive into the bunker. I still have not seen what she did in the bunker, wh- how she hit out of it. All I know is that I was standing next to her husband as she had hit four shots to the to be short of the green, and he was obviously nervous, about as nervous as you could possibly imagine. And he then had a she, few drinks to settle those nerves. Yes, to <laughs> yes but she had she had uh, kind of bladed a little bit of a chip, not bladed, but like just thinned a chip through the green. Missed her double bogey putt, and he was already off walking up the 17th hole. Couldn't watch, and I was just like, holy cow, it's on. It is officially on in G-Chun's on the 17th, which should have been a birdie. Like, huh, holy cow, we might have seen a, a true, true collapse here. But fortunately for Ashley, no. No. It's something that always impresses me with
1: professional sports people, athletes. I, I suppose I shouldn't be that impressed by it by now, because they're all capable of it, evidently but the ability to reset mm. and just, okay, that happened, draw a line, it's not over yet, and just bounce back, if you like.
0: Yeah, well, I think she she would say she learned something in 2019 at Woburn when uh, she had the 36-hole lead and lost it. And she said this week, like, every time you get yourself in one of these positions, you learn a little bit. You become a little more familiar mm. with what it takes to, to be atop the leaderboard at the absolute end. Uh, And I think you saw that. It's a resetting. It's her caddy, which they have a phenomenal relationship. Her caddy likes to kind of like say little cheeky things here and there to inspire her, to slow her down. I think you saw that throughout, I guess, what would be the four holes of the playoff and then the final three holes of regulation. So seven holes in a row there where, frankly, she did seem kind of in control. Like she hit the green on sixteen. Uh, she had a phenomenal bunker shot and maybe could have made a birdie putt on 17. And then she became an absolute stripe show with her driver on 18. Like that is a hole that can be unnerving. Hard right to left wind. And she, I swear, she did not have a foot of spin or dispersion off of her line on her tee balls on 18. You saw all of them with... The, tr- the the tra- tracer the yeah. tracer and it I swear they're all just as straight <laughs> as a line and I couldn't believe that she did that five times in a row to
1: such a point that it made you think is the tracer on the blank you know as <laughs> <laughs> it malfunctions somehow yeah
0: and I think she hit a wood into that green every single time she she might have changed from like a seven wood to a five wood or whatever but like that it's just a hard hole and she she played it five times and she made par four times right <laughs> yes yeah uh and they all blend together now that you and i are trying to recall <laughs> them but it was a late finish for you <laughs> yeah it's just that is a hole that can uh unnerve you i mean mm-hmm. laura davies made a 10 in the second round this week just because she hit into one bunker on that hole and ultimately it was the fairway bunker that in that did in in chun so in terms of you know it's not great when you have to play the same hole over and over and over for like television purposes no i, I think that i don't think awful. anyone likes it except for tournaments because they don't have to move yeah anyone around but anyway that is just one way of saying like she was stone cold and that is not what you'd expect out of the 84th ranked player in the world who had never correct never won an lpga tour event
1: but now she has and what a one to to win for the first one incredible scene so congratulations to ashley Buhi, major champion Final point on the AIG, Sean. What did you think of the event as a, a spectacle in terms of how the RNA staged it? Because they clearly want to elevate the profile of the championship. Since they took it over, they've made great strides. Yeah, You can see it with the, the prize money increase last Ooh. week. I mean, wow. 26%. Unbelievable. That's it's, it's more huge. than doubled in, I think, four or five years. Mm-hmm. So it still has a ways yep. to go to, yep. to match yep. the, the men's Open, if you will. But the it's around about where we were when Ustazen won at the Open just okay. up the road here in St. in mm-hmm. 2010. So it's getting there Yep. slowly but surely. Mm-hmm. In terms of the overall staging and the feel of the championship, you've covered events in the States, women's majors in yeah. the States. Where did this one sit?
0: Yeah, well, it's tricky because the as you discussed earlier, we are at the tail end of a wicked summer of golf in this part of world and I don't think they were sold out so to say this yeah there were there were less people I think maybe than I imagined but they were the exact kind of people that you wanted to be there parents bringing their their children out you had people from the the girls and boys junior events that are happening in Carnoustie they Mm -hmm. made a pit stop down there to watch the women play it's not the easiest place For accommodations, like there's not there's it's really the Ben Breakfast industry that like owns that little part of this country, but I really enjoyed it. It's the first Women's Open that I've ever been to, and so what is so beautiful about some of those events is, yeah, it's going to be on a lesser scale than the Open at St Andrews. It's going to be on a lesser scale than when the Men's Open goes to Muirfield in the future, but it's still the best golfers in the world, and so in that sense, like the setup of the course felt perfect there's always going to be pros that complain about things and i know that they i don't think they cut the greens on saturday but they did on sunday and so that just you know that gets a lot of talk happening but either way i thought it was phenomenal and i anticipate them going back there soon i think yeah. it was important that they hosted this before midfield could even get back into the men's rota so well. true i so. absolutely agree with that 100 i think in terms of the yeah, I mean,
1: I don't know what the RNA's expectations or even their objectives were in terms of attendance. It looked light on TV. Sure, yeah. yeah but, again, extenuating circumstances for that, which I'm, I'm sure the RNA would put forward, like you know, school summer holidays, for example, yeah. It was the last week of a long run of yeah. golf. I mean, people are having to make decisions to go to. You know what it also looks light? To.
0: Like, sometimes, like, when Truen hosts an open, it looks light. Totally, Like. You're going up against, by comparison, the absolute massive grandstands here at St. Andrews with the town and a course that goes distinctly out and back to the point where you can't be in the middle. Mm -hmm. So it's just fans trying to look over other fans or trying to look over other fans on the outer, outer ring of the golf course here. Mirfield had two concentric circles there were fans like sprinkled everywhere and mm-hmm. so it's just like optically visually it's going to look different yeah than St Andrews and you know what it's funny because we tend to
1: compare events here to events in the states you look at PGA Tour events in most weeks yeah it looks like they're really busy but if you think about the same aerial shots well what you've got in the states are a lot of treeline courses yep Whereas here, it's so exposed, you see an awful lot of ground from those aerial Mm -hmm. shots. So maybe it sometimes makes it look a little bit sparse just by comparison. Because it's an apples and oranges
0: comparison to compare the two, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed following Luis Duncan and Katrina Matthew. Yeah. That That was was a cool story, wasn't it? That was a really fun group just because I went out day one and I thought, okay, the number one, number two, number three players in the world, Nelly, Minji, and... Gosh, I'm forgetting the other one now. Uh, Jin Young Ko, and just the world number one. Yeah, It's uh, <laughs> bad. But I forgot too. I figured, Bye. I figured those guys they they would draw a crowd, and they did. But for some reason, I was like, gosh, it feels like there's a bigger crowd somewhere on this course, and yeah. I can see it with the Scottish girls. Yeah. And uh, you know, that's one thing I also learned is like it. Th- th- sometimes it doesn't matter what the rankings are. We're gonna follow our, our our home lads and lasses at this point because that's what matters most and it's still just Friday yeah and the
1: great story with Katrina hitting the the opening tee shot that was a really nice touch and Louise two weeks as a as a pro and I think she's vindicated it. 70,000 pounds she made last week and I think there are big things coming for her she's a phenomenal talent let's switch let's jump across the Atlantic if you will and the final event of the regular PGA Tour season, the Wyndham Championship, took place at the weekend. Significant because this is last chance saloon stuff for the players who are <laughs> on the bubble yeah. of the top one, two, five in the rankings. Those who make it in get the the opportunity to play FedEx Cup and the, mm-hmm. the huge financial rewards that come with that. The guys that just miss out, oh dear. So we'll come <laughs> to that in a second because I want to get your insights and experience of you know what that's like. Let's start with the guy who won it though. J.H. Kim, or as he would prefer to be known, Tom Kim. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me the story there first of all, because anyone who was watching golf Twitter over the weekend will have seen an awful lot of Thomas the Tank engine gifts. Yes. What's the significance of that?
0: Well I think he just really enjoyed that Cartoon is it is, is Thomas the Tank Engine just a cartoon or is it a actual book at one point? Both, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was his thing growing up, and now that's his nickname. Like, and the reason <laughs> why is because he just he wants to simplify things. Um, I think it's a much easier name for people who are trying to learn about more PGA Tour players for Americans who know the name Tom very well, and suddenly like Tom Kim, especially with the fun story behind it, makes him a fun personality for them to become fans of. So yeah, I haven't talked to him. I honestly haven't even watched him play that much golf, but he's wickedly talented. He might be be on the President's Cup team coming up in a couple months. The way things are going. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so you're going to see more and more of this guy, especially now that he's In the FedEx Cup. So I'm not sure you can simplify Sean Zach much
1: more. (laughs) But let's say for argument's sake, you had to take something from your childhood to replace Sean for identification purposes, for brand
0: purposes. Franklin. Franklin would be the name because uh, I used to love Franklin the Turtle was a, a cartoon that we watched probably in my kindergarten, first grade years when I was maybe five years old, six years old. It was just a, like a hard luck turtle <laughs> that kind of just got into a bunch of, you know, interesting situations. And there was always a life lesson to come out of everything that he learned. So yeah, Franklin, Franklin turtle. Yeah. I guess I would be
1: <laughs> Egon, Egon McEwen.
0: <laughs> because know.
1: the Ghostbusters,
0: you know, Egon Spangler. No idea.
1: <laughs> you don't know Ghostbusters.
0: I know Ghostbusters, but I don't know who Egon is.
1: Oh, we're going to have to have a separate conversation affair. My goodness. But, look, Tom, the the other significance there, apart from the really cool backstory, 20 years old, Mm -hmm. second youngest winner ever on the PGA Tour behind Jordan Spieth. That is remarkable. I'm thinking back to what I was doing when I was 20 and, yeah, nowhere near Mm -hmm. good enough to win anything far less a PGA Tour event. Frightening. Yeah. It's a concetto, doesn't
0: it? Whenever it happens, it, it definitely makes you feel old. So there's that. <laughs> I'll, I remember when Spieth won, it was actually my internship summer at Golf Magazine, and I was 21. And so it was kind of the first example of, hey, Sean, you think you're doing good things? You're an intern at Golf Magazine, living in New York City. But there's this guy who's younger than you who just won on the PGA Tour. <laughs> like, how do you feel about yourself now? go and tell his story. Yeah, exactly. Go write about him and, and try to make him, I don't know, sound normal. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, so now I'm 30 years old. So nine years after that, and now I got to go cover this 19 year old kid who's, yeah, he's incredible. He's, sometimes people show you how talented they are and you don't take it you don't pay as much attention, but I think we should probably pay attention to this one. Exactly, it makes you wonder where the, the 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 ceiling is, I guess, for young guys winning on the tour. I mean, what are we gonna see a 16 year old winning before too long? I don't think so, because there's just such an, a maturation process with their bodies. But Spieth contended in an event as an amateur in Texas. Uh, Scotty Scheffler made the cut as an amateur in Texas uh, at like 16 years old. Um, I believe Justin Thomas made a cut I think when he was like 15 years old and so these are all world beaters that eventually like are the best players in the world but they were good enough to be paid attention to at 15 16 like it probably wouldn't be crazy to see a 17 or an 18 year old win at some point Mm. Um, someone who's gone through puberty really early and then just like is already just swinging free and they don't know what they don't know, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> on the opposite end of the leaderboard,
1: or rather the FedEx Cup standings, it was a bit of a hard luck story for a few guys who just missed out on the, the top one, two, five. So Ricky Fowler made it in, in 125th place. Yeah. After all the struggles he's bubble had. Bubble boy. He bubble boy indeed. Could that be the, the thing that breathes new life into his career? And I don't know, is that the is that the impetus that he needs to turn things around? Then at one two six you've got Matt Wallace one two seven Austin Smotherman that was absolutely heartbreaking the the, the way that he missed out bogey double bogey finish yeah I it was to miss the cut uh, then you've got you know guys like Doc Redmond Danny Willett Kelly Craft all those other guys missing out by just a few places and uh, even fewer points in some instances give me an insight if you could Sean in terms of what now for those yeah. guys. Because you mentioned off oh, you know Martin Trainer pretty well, for example, yeah. he finished one three eight.
0: What happens next to yeah. these guys? So, what like this is all that matters to like a lot of golfers is just status. And when I when I say status, it's like you have earned your PGA Tour card or some minor derivative of your PGA Tour card. And so, the top one twenty five are all set full status for next year. 25 125 through 150 have some sort of like temporary st- uh you know special status uh, those are the wrong words for it but just like a lesser status so a sprinkling of starts yes so to speak. essentially and there's a long list that's called the priority ranking that updates throughout the year but if you are a winner of the players championship the greatest thing you can do according to the PJ tour is you're atop the list. And if you are finishing 124th, you're very far down the list. And this, all this matters is for earning starts into events. So if you want to get invited to the Arnold Palmer Bay Hill Invitational, you have to be pretty high up on the list because that's an event a lot of guys want to play in. It has a great purse. It's going to have a mega purse in a couple of years. And that's where the guys in the 113 to 120 ranking they just don't get into those events quite as much, and particularly the guys in the 130 to 150 ranking. Now, what's next is those guys that finished outside the top 125 will probably go to Corn Ferry Tour Q School Finals. is what they call the, the Corn Fairy Finals. And so they at least get exemptions into that tournament. They'll be going up against uh, a lot of the guys who competed all season long on the Corn Ferry Tour 25 graduates from the Corn Ferry Tour will move up into that same priority ranking list. And yeah, they're all just trying to figure out where they can rank so they can get starts for next year. And you can do that if you've missed out by doing it at Corn Ferry Finals. Um, So yeah, essentially they just have another tournament that will be played with just as many blood-hungry professional (laughs) golfers that are trying to figure out their future, trying to figure out okay, do I got to play like all these fall events or will my ranking be high enough that I can take a little bit of a break and like really grind in January and February and March and really try to earn my 2024 Mm -hmm. that way. So it's a bit of a battle um, because that's when you think, you know, is it possible that I played too much golf? Did I wear myself down? Justin Lauer, I know, missed out by just a little bit and he was pretty heartbroken about it, you know, it, it comes down to for him, if he if he made like two better shots this week, he, he becomes a full PJ tour card carrying member for next year. Martin Trainer, I talked to earlier this week, he finished one thirty eighth, but he was T nine through thirty six holes and essentially needed a top ten finish. So he was right there. He just needed to that do another thirty six holes of what he did the first thirty six holes. And that's why that event is so intriguing. Like you and I, we watch a lot of golf to understand if Tony Finau is good enough to win mm-hmm. two weeks in a row, but we don't often pay that much attention to an Austin Smotherman or a Martin trainer until li- last week, this past weekend. And for them, they've been there for however many weeks of the season and suddenly it crystallizes. Okay. I need to do it, and I need to do it right now. And I can't just wait till the third round to make it happen. I need to make this cut, and then I need to make magic. And you oftentimes find that they just they don't make magic because it's hard to do. Fight or flight, isn't it? I mean, yes. Yeah.
1: It's. it's uh, I, I can't imagine being in that kind of position and having to. Yeah, knowing that what you do over the next few hours effectively can dictate how your career goes yeah you know, imagine it, it applying can have that, that to
0: writing a game story oh my goodness against all the dudes in the media center at the masters <laughs> and you've like crap i gotta be one of the six best of them today how am i gonna do that what am i gonna do you know
1: yeah it's, it would
0: make me think it's twice full of it going and getting like another chicken sandwich or you know a moon <laughs> pie or something like that sure
1: it's like you know just just focus michael just you yeah know, but on. at
0: least the prize would imply probably better salaries than we're working with but
1: there's a thought
0: (laughs) (laughs) thought for our bosses (laughs) on that happy note
1: there is more to come from sean and i on this week's episode including look we're going to get into it you're probably wondering why we haven't already (laughs) but that's because it's big it deserves its own section i'm talking of course about the lawsuit more to come on that in part two do not go anywhere
0: To create an iron that performs like nothing else, you need to build it like no one else has. So we constructed the new Rogue ST irons with a high strength 450 AI face cup, doubled its tungsten weighting for optimal launch, and added even more urethane microspheres for exceptional feel and sound. Every aspect of Rogue ST has been precision tuned to create our longest iron ever. The new Rogue ST irons from Callaway, the kings of distance.
1: Welcome back, part two of this week's Bunkered podcast in association with Callaway, coming to you live this week from St. Andrews. It's starting to become somewhat overcast. The wind is picking up, but it still looks utterly glorious out there. Fantastic scenes across the, well, very much not Old Grey toon this week. The old course is back up and running. You'll be aware that people can now go and play the course. I would recommend you don't just show up because (laughs) you'll have seen this yourself, Sean. I should add we're joined by Sean Zach from Golf.com on this week's episode, filling in for Bryce. And can I say, you're letting the side down, Sean, because you're not as miserable as he is. No.
0: (laughs) that's because i'm having a great summer that's it i want that for an
1: ad read for st andrew's links nice nicely (laughs) done but yeah you'll have seen this yourself when you've been walking around behind the 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 first tee i gather that last week there were something like 70 singles that Mm, showed up just queuing hoping they were going to get a chance to play tee times on the old course as you can imagine hard to come by but later this month The window will be open to apply for private advanced tee times on the old course for 2023. That's important because with most of the authorised tour operator partners that St Andrews works with, with them having sold out many of their packages for next year, this is really the last chance for golfers to get a guaranteed tee time on the old course in 2023. So if you watched the Open Championship this year, you saw Cam Smith do what he did, for example, at 17 you fancy trying that for yourself you fancy even trying to drive the green like so many of the guys did at 18 you fancy trying to recreate Rory's hole out from the bunker fruitless though it was alas in the end on the the Thursday at, uh, at the 10th hole if you fancy trying any of that stuff yourself and you want to get on the old course this is really just about the only way you're going to be able to do it so recommend you check out St Andrew's Link's social channels or sign up to the newsletter that they've got on their website That'll be the first place you'll hear about the Tea Time 2023 window. Demand's going to be high, though, so you really ought to get in there if you're going to have any chance of playing this incredible course in 2023. So good luck with that. Right, Sean, this is the bit that I know we've both been waiting for. (laughs) Live Golf versus the PGA Tour. For most of this year, that's been like a, a slogan or a headline now it is a lawsuit, you yeah. know, in full-on LA law, law and order style, <laughs> we're going to the courtroom. And I guess no one's really that surprised, are they? Because it feels like litigation has been coming for several months. It's, it's felt like the only way we're going to reach any kind of a conclusion to this. Yes,
0: totally. Uh, there's been two sides to this war, and neither really wants to budge. So what what was going to have to decide it was going to be a courtroom? We definitely saw it coming for many, many months. It always felt like we were going to get here. Weren't sure that it was going to be in August. I kind of thought like maybe the month of October or November once Liv's season ended, once they kind of maybe had the winter months to, to spend time in a courtroom. But we're here because it's the beginning of the FedEx Cup playoffs, and... Three live golfers want to have their cake and eat it too. To use this often uh, now overused phrase: (laughs) Taylor Gooch, Matt Jones, and Hudson Swafford. You know, like three guys that I generally don't care about too much at the beginning of the FedEx Cup playoffs. But this week, they are (laughs) this week they're the most important golfers in the world. I think it's funny because I was going to inform you as to
1: where they stand on the rankings, but I can't because Mm. they've been stripped. From the rankings by the PGA Tour, their names don't exist in the top 125, 150, 200, whatever it might be. They're not there, but they may well be by the end of this week. So the top 125 is set, but three more names could be added, those three guys you mentioned, depending on the outcome of this. Let's call it part one of the lawsuit. They're looking for an injunction, a reprieve, that will allow them to take their place, which they see as their right because they've earned it. They were in the top 125 before they jumped to live. Mm -hmm. They didn't get pushed out. So they're saying, this is our right. We've earned the spot. Let us take it. So they're going for an injunction, much like Ian Poulter, Brandon Grace, Adrian Otegi, and Justin Harding did for the the Scottish
0: Open. And they won that. Mm -hmm. Importantly, I think. I think, gosh, I know that that happened in the UK. um, It's a different... Different jurisdiction, yeah, yeah. Um, but precedents are precedents. I mean, there are, in that lawsuit, quotes and emails and statements and faxes that have taken place over the course of decades, w- over the course of different countries. So, like, precedents work in the courtroom, and that's why, like, if you, had to, if you had to put a gun to my head, like, I would anticipate these guys getting the temporary restraining order, which is... Just a means of saying, like, yeah, I think the greater group of 11 plaintiffs have a decent case against the PGA Tour. For the time being, we will allow them to, you know, go back to the status quo, which means that they are they are members of the PGA Tour. And, like, that hasn't changed. They didn't resign their membership. But the PGA Tour, as anyone listening to this podcast probably knows... It's become extremely murky whether those guys are banned for a lifetime, suspended for a year or nine months or whatever. So yeah, it will be very interesting. It would be a gigantic feather in the cap of the PGA Tour if the temporary restraining order is not agreed to. But I believe we'll find that out probably probably Wednesday early morning Scotland time, uh, maybe Tuesday evening uh, in terms of Pacific Coast American time, which is where the district, it's the northern district of California, San Francisco division. (laughs) So why California? There'll be a lot of people wondering why they filed a lawsuit there. Yeah, it's a great question. Essentially, Liv has chosen that place because California itself is a very worker-focused state. Uh, There has been plenty of litigation that has happened in that state in, in uh, that has been in favor of labor force. And that has stemmed, f- frankly, in San Francisco from a lot of like social media companies and tech companies. And so Live is trying to make the argument that its workers, these plaintiffs, are ha- dealing with a restraint of trade, that they cannot ply their trade in the current ecosystem of the of the pro golf world because of what the PGA tour is doing. And therefore California makes sense because there have been plenty of precedents again, set by past litigation of pro worker rulings. So that makes sense. The PGA tour has jurisdiction in that, uh, state because they host more events there than any other state, uh, in the United States. They host six events there between the Pebble beach pro-am, the Fortinet championship, Farmers insurance. The farmers mm. insurance open. And so they've gone there for that. A number of players, notably like Phil Mickelson, has lived there just about his entire life and still has residency there. So that's why they've chosen California. The PJ Tours based so just to be clear, they could have chosen any of the 50 states to well, file this complaint. Probably out. not Alaska. Probably not Potentially not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> essentially, like they need to create a reason why. It would make sense there, Mm -hmm. and so like yeah, there's obviously like more manipulative reasons of choosing a pro worker district, and also like avoiding the other side of the political spectrum, which you would find in Florida, which is where the PGA Tour is headquartered.
1: Which would be the other main candidate you would have thought for
0: in terms of which court's going to get the documents? Florida, California.
1: It would be one of those two. Yeah,
0: them. You could argue Texas. Arizona, a lot of PJ two pros live mm. in Arizona, maybe Nevada, but it, it was probably California or Florida, with Texas being a close third. And they've decided to go California, which makes a lot of obvious sense. So that is, I guess, part one. Then, as we say, is going to be <laughs> are they <red>. bored yet? <laughs> <laughs> you are you are forgiven if you you know if your eyes just roll in the back of your head, but that's kind of where we're at. We're at the yeah. very the beginning of what could be a very boring. Stage of Live Golf versus the PGA Tour. Now, it won't be that boring because there'll be plenty of comments made this Mm -hmm. week at the FedEx St. Jude Classic. There'll be plenty of comments made in a number of weeks at the next Live Golf event in Boston. Then Live Golf kind of takes the baton, not necessarily uh, voluntarily from the PGA Tour, but they will own the month of September Mm -hmm. and part of the month of October in terms of like our attention span. And it'll all end up at a trump course for the team event at the end of october right before midterm elections in the united states so is that a deliberate move perhaps if so it's phenomenal foresight i don't want to give them that much credit (laughs) okay that said there's been a number of like marketing visibility moves scheduling moves that live has made to this point that look like they took a lot of great foresight Mm -hmm. so either way one thing I, I told a friend recently is that like, look, we reacted emphatically when Phil Mickelson's comments came out in February, and we reacted to Jay Monahan's comments emphatically in March at the Players when he was like peacocking. I don't know if that's a, a term that crosses the it does. the waters. But he was he was stunting in a way, um, and we I think we have essentially freaked out as media members golf fans every step of the way because it's gotten more and more and more complicated and each month has brought on new wrinkles that have felt more complicated than the last this whole thing looks simple if you just like travel time back to may and if we think it's simple right now just wait a month and then just wait a month after that. It's only getting more complex.
1: You have done the really hard digging, Sean. So kudos for that. <laughs> Thanks. And for the purposes of this podcast, thank you yeah. for that. Because you have gone through every page of the the complaint, if you like, that's been lodged, the, the lawsuit. What are the 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 big takeaways for you from
0: it? The things that surprised you the yeah. most? Well, we get we got some information about Phil being suspended from the PGA tour for Mickelson that we kind of figured existed, but we learned, I guess the details of like, okay, he was suspended on March 22nd. He was initially suspended, I think for like what amounted to a number of months. He was given a, a chance to reinstate to apply for reinstatement. Each time that he's played at a live golf event, it has increased his suspension. And now he can apply for reinstatement, I believe, at the end of March 2024. Who so, knows-
1: effectively, a two-year
0: ban he's serving at the moment. Correct. And um, who knows if this lawsuit will, where where it will be in two years. But anyways, we learned about that. Uh, we learned a couple different things, like that the fact that Bryson DeChambeau had, had actually signed with Liv. He had signed the dotted line. Then he had to go back, post Phil's comments, and like nullify it because Bryson had kind of been... Uh, you know, according to the lawsuit, again, this is a complaint on mm-hmm. just live Golf's side of it, that he had been threatened to, he'd been threatened in, you know, they use the word forced into like backing out of his agreement with live. You know, now he's a live golfer and he's very happy and proud to be so. So I think he got past that other surprises. There's a, just a, a couple very important like pieces. Uh, and I'm um, interesting that you brought up the multi piece that you guys did. like, Frankly that information is some of the most important information I think <laughs> so kudos to you but basically one of the biggest arguments that Liv wants to make is that the PGA Tour has created what they call a group boycott and in response to rumors discussions poaching that Liv Golf was trying to do in you know as as recently as or as far back as like January of 2020, the PGA Tour, their reaction allegedly was to go right to the DP World Tour and to say, "We need, we need this strategic alliance." And why your piece is so important to that all is because your piece discussed Keith Pelley's meeting with the potential like backing group for live golf and it just shows that the the dp world tour was potentially interested in something other than a strategic alliance and then very suddenly moved into a strategic alliance now live golf will argue that they were bullied bear hugged into the strategic alliance how will they prove that in the san francisco northern california district court (laughs) remains to be seen but that is one of the things that seems extremely plausible and has pretty good ground to stand on. Again, there's a lot that will come and this is going to get dragged on for weeks and months and potentially years. Years, you think so? Yeah, I just, again, like I did not go to law school, but I like a lot of people have plenty of friends who are lawyers and they just... They know how these things go. Some of the lawyers working for the PJ Tour have represented the other major sports in America. The NFL, the MLB. The MLB's had its own antitrust of lawsuits. Course, yeah. these, these uh sporting organizations also used to be nonprofit organizations. And so there's a lot of through lines and similarities that these specific lawyers from big name companies are being brought in to handle this case. So we really are just getting started but it will be interesting because some of these some of the PGA tours hidden closets are going to be exposed a little bit
1: well that's the thing <laughs> and that's the that's the part that surprises me that they seem very bullish at least if you read jay Monhan's comment or mm-hmm. the the message that he put out to the the players very much in the, over the the case of, we are going to fight this vigorously yep. You know, bring it on. Essentially, they
0: got no choice, though, right?
1: I guess, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, they had a choice at the outset, which would have been to at sure. least return the calls or yeah. return the emails. Take a meeting, I, yeah. Which I gather they completely and to this point have refused to mm-hmm. do. So they had the opportunity to not let this happen. Whereas now it's reached a point where all of their, if they exist, their skeletons will be dragged out of that closet, <laughs> which I can't see as a good thing for the PGA Tour. It's
0: particularly not. I think because they are a very like the the structure of the company itself is is complex. There are were very easy arguments that you could be made long before live that it should not be a nonprofit organization. Like in my opinion, it shouldn't be, but it it does a lot of good as a charity based organization so which is a thing that i
1: think a lot of people listening to this probably aren't aware of the Dj yeah. tour is a registered charity yeah you know that's how it operates it's non it's got 501c6 status in the states and they and give a there's a very ton of
0: money oh they charity. do but there's and a very
1: good reason for wanting to be a charity as well yeah
0: exactly it keeps you from paying a, a ton a ton a ton of taxes um so yeah it, it is a very complex business structure and it is being proven just how complex it is. Basically, the thing I've learned in all of this, and I talked to you. I recently like compiled a timeline for Golf Magazine of like how we got here, going all the way back to 1994 when Greg Norman first tried making this whole sort of world golf tour happen. And and what I learned is just like, yeah, the structure of having extremely well-paid independent contractors that are their own companies that we as a pga tour put events on for like it is not as much of a symbiotic relationship as i think the pga tour wants you to believe that it is and uh, the people who probably believe it is least symbiotic are the live golfers and they did not have a quorum back in 94 greg norman had essentially verbal agreements or verbal yeses from Nick Price, who's the number one player in the world, Sevi Ballesteros, and he did not have yeses from the American players. Now, like
1: Fred Couples, most notably. Fred yeah.
0: Couples, most notably. I believe Paul Azinger kind of didn't really think he was, uh, had any grounds to stand on. Phil Mickelson was way too young to... Frankly, like open his mouth about this stuff. I don't He's think a plant is a sea dividend, which is which is absolutely hilarious and ironic. I don't think Curtis Strange was interested, but all of that is to say that like Greg Norman had the international side a bit spoken for, but did not have the Americans. Mm. But at that time, what was so interesting is that the internationals were the best players in the world. The Americans weren't all the best players in the world as it is today. There's a lot more Americans that kind of hold top thirty rankings. And so you do kind of have to own that American crowd. And Greg Norman has convinced a number of important Americans to join this tour. So Yeah.
1: <laughs> Strange. It's funny because obviously back in ninety-four, it's well documented now, but Arnold Palmer gave a very impassioned speech mm-hmm. that you know persuaded the American players who may have been swithering, who may have contemplated the idea that no, in fact, you're you're going nowhere. And mm-hmm. they all listened. I we could guess what Greg Norman didn't have at that time, even though he had the backing of Rupert Murdoch and the the Fox empire, growing empire though it was, they clearly didn't have as deep pockets as the Saudi Arabian yes, investment
0: fund. That's extremely true. They also didn't have social media. They didn't have the internet. Yeah. They didn't have connectivity. <laughs> A lot of my research was done using the New York Times' archives. Mm-hmm. And the scope of The quotes that were being shared with the public through the New York Times, essentially the the public record in the United States. It was like one day Tim Fincham had a quote and then the next day Greg Norman had a quote. And then the next day there might have been a quote from some other group of PGA Tour players. But it was not all trickling out on Twitter. It was not trickling out in, in a report. You know, like Rex Hoggard could go to the next tour event and get 10 players on the record. And that is all included. Like on the record... In the, in the database of golfchannel.com and suddenly, like, they speak for a much greater populace. There were few people speaking. They were speaking, like, in back channels that we don't really know about. And that World Golf Tour in 94, it, like, had, like, a month of life. And then, boom, it was essentially dead. This has had back channeling now mm-hmm. for what is going on two and a half to three years. Probably even longer, if we're being honest. And so... If anyone is just learning about this stuff now, like, (laughs) find my timeline in (laughs) Gulf Magazine, but (laughs) also do your research because it is way deeper than uh, it appears on the surface. Yeah, and the tentacles go far, 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 further as well than people would
1: expect. It's... it's Oh, if only we could say all (laughs) the stuff we know. Yeah, sure. It's it's one of those ones, but it has, as we've pointed out at the start, it's reached the point of litigation the things that we're discussing here are all allegations. I want to be absolutely <laughs> explicit on it's that good thing point. To say. And to be clear, it is one side of the story. Yeah. Because this is just the the live version of events at the moment. The PGA tour has an opportunity to respond. By the time that you hear this podcast, yeah. there's a very good chance that we'll have taken that opportunity. I'd be surprised if they didn't, because there there's an awful lot of ground that they need oh, to gosh. respond to.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's one of those things where if you don't say anything, you're almost admitting to some of it. So, mm. I, I I, mean, they've lawyered up. They've got, I think, you know, probably 10 to 12 different attorneys hand, helping them out. And so, yeah, there's there's going to be a bunch of lawyers in that courtroom. I guess what is now tomorrow. It's in San Jose, actually. It's not in San Francisco, but it's the San Francisco district. Okay. For anyone in Scotland who really, really cares about the Bay Area's uh, geography, San Jose courtroom. this this was a bit strange
1: because clearly i'm a a journalist i work in golf media it's a good time to be working in golf media because it's uh, news stories have never been so fertile i mean it's it's all there it's Mm -hmm. stories like we couldn't even have predicted at the start of our careers so it's good in that sense there is another part of me though that just feels like the temperature is way too high (laughs) i I alluded to this on social (laughs) media last week and i pointed out that you cannot say Anything about live golf, good, bad, indifferent, without people on either side jumping to attack. Yeah. And it's just it feels like that is the modus operandi from both sides now is attack. Yeah. Not, that's not doing anybody. Welcome to goal. American politics.
0: <laughs> uh, that's a, Funnily, joke, a, a number. <laughs> a number of the
1: accounts did have MAGA
0: in their titles. Yeah. Uh, which it's extremely true though. There. If you and I it's not benefiting anyone, though, is no. it to be that belligerent? No. It's definitely not, it does not further the the discourse and which is a great reason why whenever I have any information to share about this whole thing, yes, I will bring it to Twitter for people to Mm. know, but I am not engaging at all. And I, I just, uh, I'm learning that our (laughs) homie, our homie, Jamie Weir needs to stop engaging with the trolls. (laughs) He's giving them way too much, way too much thought and time and, uh, it's, it's it's an easy thing to do, though, because mm-hmm. Jamie knows a lot. Mm-hmm. He knows a lot about what's going on. He has a very fair, sound opinion on it all, like a lot of journalists have done. He's broken stories about this, mm-hmm. right? He broke the Stenson story, yep, Sunday sure of the Open. And when you just kind of throw it out there into the ether, in which everyone has a microphone as well, you just find out that they almost want to use it more than, than we do. Mm-hmm. And um, you know what? I'm sure Jamie knows more than I know about this whole thing. And so like he's the person you need to trust folks like that's exactly. what i kind of want that's why that blue check is there it doesn't make him more important than anybody but it just tells you that yeah he is verified because the information he has worked to verify it so and he's a very good journalist. hopefully know, he's jamie. listening because this is a compliment jamie whether or not it sounds like it <laughs>
1: Well, he's a very good journalist as well. And I mean, you know, he doesn't get to that position without being it. Yes, he has opinions. Yes, he has opinionated, but he's very good at, in my opinion, differentiating the two. For sure. When it comes to breaking news, he will break the stuff he likes as much as the stuff he hates and vice versa. totally. You're
0: right. And he asks hard questions, man. He does. Talk about someone who, as a journalist, like will inspire you to like, just say your blunt question, Mm -hmm. word it in the proper way and just put it on the table and say, here's this, please answer it. He does that extremely well. He certainly does. Although I I do agree, for his own benefit, maybe turn
1: off the notifications every (laughs) once in (laughs) a while. Before we wrap up the the live chat and move on to your Potter of Merit debut, which I know you're excited about. (laughs) James Han, very quickly, uh, finished 108th on the FedEx Cup standings, had a good year, made just under $1.2 million dollars. And seems to be enjoying the sound of his own tweets <laughs> over the last week or so. The the stuff God, that he's been so coming good. away with on Twitter, the, the claims he's been making, extraordinary, to, to say the very least. What is this? Is this, is this a, a player impact program play? Is this a, a
0: come and get me plea to live? What is James Hand doing? It's so interesting because... Well, for anyone listening, like you'll have to just listen to us talk about it and then go back and look at these tweets. Yes. James Hahn's account, like, doesn't have that many tweets. He wasn't a, a very big tweeter, so to say. Well, he was most famous for doing the, the gangnam style dance. Yeah. You know, a
1: few years ago and, and uh, everyone got a good kick out of that.
0: In my opinion, a month ago, James Hahn was a very good quote. I think he mm. will talk he will tell you the truth when you go and in, 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 in ask him a question. And for that reason, he became a policy board member for the pga tour and now we're talking about like pga tours like internal government but there's the advisory council which is made up of 16 players that changes every year and then there's the policy board which you can get onto once you've served as the chairman of the advisory council now james is one of those policy board members and they are basically the final stand in terms of making things happen on the pga tour when jay monahan announced those future schedule changes and the purse increases that got voted on by the policy board. And Jay Monaghan is not on the policy board. There are four players on it. There are five essential like business leaders. And then next year, Patrick Cantley will join and make a fifth tour player on the board. But James Hahn is on it. If Patrick Cantley stays in the (laughs) PGA tour. Good point. But James Hahn is on it. Like it's one of the five most foremost at this point, important roles that a PGA tour player can play. It can member can play and for him to go on Twitter for what amounts to like a two week span of time and essentially campaign for live and to say like, Oh, live doesn't want me, but like what they have has merit and the schedule changes that the PGA tour has made, which were very slight for 2023 and very, Significant for 24, like James Hahn just continued to make a campaign for live golf in the public specter, and that is just it's way worse than whatever Davis Love did, in my of opinion. Of course, yeah, it's just it is comical. And on that policy board is James Hahn doing this. It's Charlie Hoffman who, in February, said, You wonder why people are considering leaving the PGA tour. He did that, at the waste management. That's half of the policy board player uh, associates the other half is Kevin Kisner who is like very forthright very stern and a solid talker and who has talked to Andy Gardner and the PGL representatives and then there's Roy McElroy who's the greatest speaker on all of this yourself and myself included and <laughs> it's just it's amazing that the policy board has cracked yes and it shouldn't have and I if all things, that Jay Monahan should be able to count on. It's those five business leaders not saying a peep and it should be those four player directors also speaking in favor of the PGA tour, but yeah. Jay Monahan, or, but excuse me, James Hahn is not doing that right now. And it's, it, it blows... He's, the he's pursuing mind. rampant
1: self-interest and greed. I mean, uh, the expression we've heard a lot of the past week or so is having your cake and eating it, yeah. as far as the live golf players go. Yeah, he's hungry. But, yeah, I mean, <laughs> James Hans evidently hungry. It's, in his case, <laughs> it's more a case of uh, having your cake and saying the cake's shit, but continuing to eat it. I mean, it's, it's a weird <laughs> thing that yeah. he's doing. Yeah. As an example, here's one of his tweets from last week, August 3rd. Let's address the elephant in the room. PGA Tour golfers have to pay their own expenses. Oh, boo Why? Had someone higher up tell me that that's the beauty of our game. You eat what you kill. Then said we would be complacent if we had guaranteed pay and not work as hard. I I, I couldn't resist. I, I did a Jamie Weir, if you like. And yeah, I, I, I saw bet, that. I mean, I, I got a little bit of heat as well. People saying that it's not comparable. I'm sorry. This absolutely is because James Han is speaking to an audience of fans. Some of him, more of golf and of the PGA Tour that are invested in a product. Those fans, a lot of them, are struggling right now. Yeah. They want to believe that these guys understand the privileged position that they're in. That they understand that it's it's a privilege and not an entitlement to play for yeah. $8 million purses every yeah. other week. To get a $7,500 stipend to come over and play on yeah. the Scottish Open. You know, just to cover those flights. Mm-hmm. Understand that it's a, a privilege to exist in the bubble he exists in. You know, he was able to go back to work, lest we forget, in June yeah. 2020 Yep. and continued to make a living in that bubble mm-hmm. for great money.
0: Which at, was completely taken care of. For, completely by, like, taken for care of. Him. Like, Correct. He didn't have to do anything. At a
1: time that other people were being furloughed or laid off, yeah. those people being the fans of that product, he mm-hmm. is privileged to play on. <laughs> and he's complaining about, well, I have to pay for my own travel. And you know, one week I've got to fly to Barbados, <laughs> but the week after that I've got to fly to Texas. The week after that I've got to fly. Could they not make it simpler? I'm sorry, James. Shut up. You have to read the room, was the, uh. the crux of my message to him. And I, I stand by it. You yeah, know, he has I to agree. he has to understand <laughs> that his existence is not the existence that 99% of people are living. Yeah. He's the privileged 1%.
0: There should be plenty of uh things in his life that tell him that, too. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. It's not Twitter that's going to suddenly inform him that his life is different. I almost wish that he had a greater following so that the blowback would have been to the extent that, a, you know, a player of a much greater stature would have received
1: um, mm-hmm. 24,500 Twitter followers. But at that
0: same time, like, Players with great following, they become a lot more corporate. We don't get to hear what they truly think. Yeah. And so in that sense, James Hahn has actually presented us a gift, which is his true feelings, mm. which he did completely voluntarily. No one asked him for it. That's so true. <laughs> yeah, And, you know, it's his opinion. He's entitled to sure. it. Sure. Equally, I'm entitled to call
1: bullshit on it, which <laughs> I, I think I did. My my worry is that, like I don't know this for sure, clearly, but is his... Viewpoint representative of the majority of PGA Tour players. Yeah,
0: no, it's not of the majority. It is of some. Mm. It is of the plaintiffs. It is uh, as <laughs> <still like> <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, that's uh, another thing that we have certainly learned this summer. We watched the PGA Tour from week to week to week, the LPGA Tour in, in some of the same ways, and we. We try and imagine ourselves in their shoes. We think about the millions of dollars that are won by the, the winner every single week. We watch the videos of what does this mean for them and their family. They get teary-eyed after they win. You just saw that with Callum Shinkwin mm-hmm. and Sean Crocker even a week prior. Yep. And Richie Ramsey week before that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. The tears and, are flowing. And we, we really often like put ourselves in their shoes. And I don't think that's wrong of us in any way. But is that imagining or is that fantasizing? uh probably fantasizing um which leads us to not know everything to not completely understand everything but i do think that we are learning just how many of them have reached a certain point in their life where they're they're really just making sure that the bank account goes up Mm -hmm. and not down and at some very basic level we have to we can respect that for sure james han is not a major champion and i don't think he ever will be and his legacy in the game will, for better or for worse, with all due respect, will be a footnote in a number of years, in a decade. And well, so, who finished 108th in the FedEx Cup <laughs> last year? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And again, like he can work to change his lifestyle. And hes he, if you look through one lens, that's what he's trying to do right now. Speak Absolutely. out about it, try to maybe make people think about this thing differently. That's 100% his right to do. We're just finding out that there's a there's a decent number of tour pros who just want they just want money because that it that's their job and yeah. you and I want money from our job but we also want the enriching value of telling stories yes um, yeah. and we want the day-to-day changes like we are sitting here on the edge of St. Andrews which didn't think I was going to be here four days ago like that's what I get out of this mm-hmm. job that I really enjoy the thrill of watching someone win last yeah. night the excitement those are all great perks of the job and like money is too money is not everything but maybe it's just an outsized percentage of the value that he gets out of it
1: yeah and I wonder if the more money you have the more you want I mean that, that's true I, for a lot it of has things, to be it? right yeah
0: when you ever it's so classic. Whenever you get a raise, you end up essentially spending a lot of the money that you got beyond what you were yeah. your means used to be. When you make a hundred thousand dollars and you suddenly get a raise to two hundred thousand dollars, are you saving a lot more? Like studies show that you don't save a lot more. Yeah. Exactly. And so like the whole idea of like, oh gosh, I can make more money is it's one of the most appealing things to a lot of professional golfers. My
1: bank manager, if he's listening to this, is nodding his head <laughs> vigorously right now as he looks at the, the finances or lack thereof in my <laughs> savings account. Uh, it's, it's fascinating times, but as, as you said, the, the game continues to move on. The tour stops for, for, for nobody, and so that brings us to Podder of Merit because it's the FedEx and Jude Championship, the first of the three playoff events appropriately, the game is all shook up, and so we're heading to Memphis, Tennessee, home of Elvis Presley. You like that? Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: no, you don't, do you? <laughs> well, A little less conversation, that's what we want, isn't it? <laughs> I could go all day with Elvis funds, man. I've been to Memphis, nice city, it's it's pretty I've cool. I've never been. It, it's, well, it's cool. I take it I, back,
0: I flew in once, but...
1: That store. doesn't count No it doesn't I flew you're to right. Dubai You don't hear me saying to people you know I went to the Burj Al Arab Good I mean, point But <laughs> it's a cool city Graceland it's, it's well worth it I know that Monty Colin Montgomery Has been to Graceland He enjoyed it We okay. We had a conversation about it He and I But that's not for the ears Of people <laughs> listening to this TPC Southwind <laughs> in Memphis Is hosting the FedEx St Jude Championship And Sean you As you're filling the, the place of Bryce this week You get Bryce's go in Potter So let me explain briefly for you Podder of merit, we each pick a player for this week's event, in this case, the FedEx St. Jude. Mm -hmm. If my player outscores yours, I will get one point and vice versa. If my player wins the tournament, I will get two points and vice versa. If we finish tied, let's say tie for 10th, no points get shared. If both players miss the cut, it doesn't matter who finishes above who, no points are missing the cut because you earn what you... uh, what you make in this game, you know.
0: You're what you uh, kill, are you correct? Eat what Cor- you, kill.
1: <laughs> you eat what you kill, as James would say, or tweet. So, that is the basic premise of the game. Bryce is trailing quite badly. Mm, I, I,
0: I'm gonna help him out.
1: I, 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 he needs it. He's 5 1 down, and it's first to 10. Oh boy. before it resets. And I'm winning four seasons to one at this <laughs> point in time. So, I'm running away with it. At the last event that we had a couple of weeks ago was the live golf event at (laughs) Bedminster because someone had to choose that event it's the first time we've chosen a live event for Podder I went for Dustin Johnson who finished third or tied second rather I should say Bryce went for Charles Schwartzel who finished way down the leaderboard in a tie for 17th the live leaderboard confuses me because even if you finish in a tie it gives you a position but Reading it, if I'm reading it correctly, finished tied 17th with Chase Kepka. So another point to me, which makes it 6-1. Jeez. So you really need to yes. step up for Sounds the big back. man here. No wonder
0: he's on holiday.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Taking some time out to think. So as the person who won the most recent point, it's my honour, honour system in golf. And for FedEx and Jude, Sean, I am choosing Tony Fina. <laughs> Oh, that's the other thing. You can't choose the player I've it's chosen. Okay. So it doesn't look like you've chosen Tony, but no. I want to see how long this heater can go. Sure. For for so long, he was the guy that couldn't get it done. Now he's won back-to-back events. I, I Who doesn't like Tony Finau? He's one of the, the, the nicest guys in the game. He's a good talker, phenomenal player. People have got over the fact that he hits a long ball as well. That's less of a conversation yeah. Than, yeah. than it was a couple of years ago because yeah. that was his thing. Yeah. I could probably do less dancing on social media, if I'm being honest. <laughs> but it's fine. As, if he keeps winning and he wins me the point this week, he can do all the dancing he likes.
0: Yeah. So, Tony is good. He's, I mean, you're right. That's exactly why you should choose him right now. He's on a heater. Yeah. But he's kind of been chilling the last week, talking to Netflix a bunch, dancing at the pool. Mm-hmm. He is of the talent level that he can kind of flip a switch and get right back into it. But So um, which of the PGA Tours losers is... That you're going to choose, is he going to beat? This is going to be tough because Tony is amazing. And Bryce might not like this, but I'm going with Brandon Wu. Yes. I can hear Bryce right That's now. Okay.
1: I can hear him from the south of France. Saying, yes. What?
0: You're going to have one of the 20 best players in the world. That's fine. <laughs> Brandon Brandon Wu is going to beat Tony Fino this week because okay. Brandon Wu has had a very good summer. He His game has traveled just about everywhere. He played extremely well at the Scottish Open. And at one point on Thursday, he actually was leading the Open. And
1: that's true. Things yeah.
0: just got a little bit weird and quirky for him out there at St. Andrews in the second round. And he was pretty beat up about it. And he came back and played extremely well in the States just last week at the Wyndham. I don't know exactly where he finished, but I know he was in contention. Was he not? Well, he, he's 71st in the FedEx Cup standings. Yep. So that's okay.
1: Let me just. <laughs> oh, Bryce, I'm sorry, mate. Uh, Tony Finau was 7th on the FedEx Cup stand. I know, but that
0: doesn't matter for this week. <sighs> 72 holes. Yeah. Brandon Wu is going to get it done. And you're going to so you, text me on Sunday night <laughs> like, damn it, Sean, you were right. <laughs> so for Bryce's benefit,
1: because I know he'd ask the question, you're not choosing Scheffler, Smith, Burns, Schofield, Cantley, Rory, Thomas, Young, M, Matsuyama. Mm-hmm.
0: All those guys have been on vacation. Those guys have been hanging out. Not playing golf, Brandon Wu has been grinding, and and succeeding. So this is going to sound like an off the wall pick, but he will he will play well this week.
1: Brandon Wu for the win. I mean, he was tied eight last week, like you said. Yep. Finished with a seventy, which kind
0: of knocked him out of contention. But okay, yeah, fine. <laughs> I'll take it. If I'm being honest, I had Tony Finau in mind, and then you spoke up, and Brandon Wu was my. My second plan. Yeah, Captain Hindsight. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So it's Brandon Wu versus Tony Finau for the Point and Podder of Merit this week. We'll finish up, as we always do, with Honesty Box. Slight change to the schedule because I've asked this question before and so I don't need to answer it. So as our guest, as our Bryce deputy, I'm throwing you right under the bus here, Sean. The question is exclusively for you. Yeah. If you had to throw anything in golf, anything... Live accepted and lawsuits accepted. Yeah. Into golf's room 101. Never to be seen again. Yeah. What's it going to be? For example, yeah. I'd like to get rid of white belts, iron head covers, <laughs> and yellow golf balls. Any colored golf balls. Yeah.
0: Um, this is a bit of a uh, amorphous, like you can't quite see it side of the thing. You can't like actually grab it and put it into the room. But I would get rid of private golf in america oh really <laughs> yes because what the clubs themselves
1: are the principal because the if it's the club it's actually
0: like no we can't get rid of the private golf clubs what i want to do is abolish it and rebuild it again in image of what you guys have here in scotland so this is my plea again to all the great scottish people i've talked to this summer i've had this conversation so many times with them though and we even had it earlier this podcast it's mm-hmm. just like it's a broken system in America, the private golf system, and they that in, encapsulates like the majority of the greatest courses in America too. <laughs> but what I mean when I say that all is the thirty thousand dollar initiation fee, mm-hmm. which is honestly south of what some of the like clubs in say San Francisco go for. The annual dues of ten to twenty thousand dollars just to maintain your membership it's preposterous that that is the price level that we have gotten to with like the most luxurious aspects of the game in America. And you just, I am constantly beaten over the head with it. When I go to clubs here and they welcome me, they don't, they don't, they don't park my car and they don't shine my shoes necessarily here, but I don't need them to do that. Of course not. I you just play want golf. 18 holes with a tee time and that's it. And I just, I really think that America could use a lot more of that and a lot less, uh, of what it has going now in the private sector, because it, it is one of those things that like, if, if you were born to be a golfer and you were born here, I think that your like barriers to entry are just so much Mm -hmm. less. And if you were born to be a golfer in America, you need to have a lot of privilege helping you out. And, uh, that's been very apparent this summer for me. So if I could stick one thing in the room, again, like I would be okay with private golf in America. I would just would like it to look differently. And so we abolish it, stick it in the room, let it disintegrate, and then we will build it back up uh, in a better image.
1: I love the sound of that. <laughs> and look, you're, you are leaving soon as we mentioned to go back to the States and you're going with mm-hmm. an expanded vocabulary.
0: Yeah, I I got <laughs> part of it from you. Part of it from, like, every conversation I have, uh, it just is striking to me how many times people use the word we here, as in, like, little or tiny. Mm-hmm. The fact that the word yes is not used that much. The word I is just...
1: My daughter used the word I yesterday for the first You're time. probably pretty In proud. context.
0: <laughs> kind of. But she's four years old. She starts
1: school, not this week, but next. And I can't help but think that that's going to disappear fairly soon. So I said to her yesterday in the car, I said... So, mommy's going out tonight <laughs> with grandma for dinner. Aye. So, <laughs> it's just you and me. Do you, want, do you want to go to McDonald's for chicken nuggets? Aye. What, <laughs> so. what is so funny to me
0: is when, when it comes in conversation and the person who says it goes, oh, I, as in like, oh, yes.
1: Oh, I, yeah.
0: Yeah. In America, oh, I is kind of like, oh, I don't know. And here in Scotland, OI is the exact opposite of I don't know. It's, oh, I do know. I totally agree. That's and, a good
1: point. <laughs> I never thought of that. So there's
0: that. There's <laughs> spanner, which Iona used the other day, right? When we were... We context. context? I think it just means like a disruption. Oh, Throw a spanner into something.
1: Because mm-hmm. um, spanner can also be used. Oh, God. I can't believe I'm teaching you this. Spanner can be used as a bit of a derogatory term for <laughs> someone who's well a bit... Thick or has done something stupid. Like, for example, I would
0: say James Han behaved like a spanner on Twitter last week. There you go. Well, in this sense, it was used just as a disruption. Mm. Um, What did you use the other day? Yaldi. Yaldi. That's an expression along the lines of fantastic, excellent, (laughs) stupendous. So there's that. Um, There's, (laughs) gosh, there's a number of others. I need to start writing them down before I go back home because I will probably forget them. Mm -hmm. Um, But... There are times when I just need to kind of like wait. What? What do you mean? And they're like, Oh yeah, here this is what it all means, Sean. Well, I'm I'm glad that we've given you an
1: education of sorts. Yeah. To return to the states with, and look, we'll be sorry to see you go, but keep in touch. We'll love to have you back on the pod. We'll connect you in via this little cable here <laughs> to get you across the Atlantic. Um, but as ever, thank you so much for your time, Sean. Pleasure to get uh, your your company and your insights into what's a very interesting time for the game, and. Don't forget us.
0: Yeah, and here's the last word that I've learned. Cheers. Everyone uses that word <laughs> in every single context. <laughs> Brilliant. SeanZachGolf.com,
1: thank you very much for joining us on this week's episode of the Bunker Podcast. We'll be back again next week, but I gather that Bryce will be returning. So, stand by for that. Thank you very much to St. Andrew's Links for hosting us this week. Apologies, we couldn't bring you Iona, but, you know, we'll try again another time. That empty seat is just looking forlorn as the episode's going on. And thank you very much to Callaway for their continued support of the podcast. And to you for listening. Thank you very much indeed. We'll be back again next week. Until then, bye-bye for now.